So yesterday we spoke about the focus on the requirement for a coordinated industrial policy in the SADC region as a means to boost regional cooperation and also an inclusive uh, economic growth path. But this is not the first time that an industrial policy has been suggested, but uh, it's never achieved any great traction. So what do we need to do differently in order to increase the chances of success this time around? Growth on the African continent over the last 10 years have been fueled by three things, commodities, urbanization, and technology. But the problem really is that the creation of new job opportunities have not kept pace with labor force growth. You know, nearly 60% of Africans are under 25 years of age, and every year we add another 12 million people to join the labor market. So clearly we need an industrial policy that will also focus on actually closing this jobs gap. So in a recent article published by the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change, it was argued that part of the problem comes from trying to address this growing problem with with traditional or, or dare I say, old-fashioned approaches. And, you know, things like talk about leveling the playing field and facilitating trade and improving transparency and infrastructure and trying to introduce business reforms. But it's argued that these sort of initiatives will not be sufficient to make a meaningful difference and bring this jobs gap under control. For this, we need a modern industrial policy, which requires a lot more cooperation between governments and development partners. And it it has to be a concerted effort to develop sectors that have both strong economic potential to compete in global markets, but also generate high economic spillovers, create opportunities for locally produced downstream products, and most importantly, create jobs at scale. And it is argued that this is exactly the approach that has been followed by, by four very successful countries in Africa in recent years, being Botswana, Ethiopia, Mauritius, and Morocco. And I think one of the mistakes that we make is that we do correctly focus on job-creating sectors like agriculture, manufacturing, tourism, and and other high-value services, but we're failing to do this on on a sufficient scale required. So if we really want to do this properly and in like a modern industrial policy, there's four critical success, success factors to look at. The first thing is that we've got to get politics and economics right simultaneously. And you need to do this. You need to understand the country's sort of political background and the incentives that are set for politicians. Because often the political and financial capital that politicians need, um, they get from business in, in sectors like mining, logistics, and so on. But typically these businesses want preferential licenses or tax favors. And these are not the sort of reforms of capacity that's needed for inclusive growth. So you've got to be able to make sure that you do the right type or bring the right type of investor into the equation that will have a long enough time horizon to make sure that you can get those right um, simultaneously. But the next thing is that you've got to identify the sectors where you can deliver inclusive growth and get political traction and be aware of the, the systemic sort of market faults and the problems um, to develop the right strategy. So when we look at things like beneficiation and local processing in the mineral sectors, this falls exactly into this sort of category. The third component that is then crucial is that you've got to de- develop the necessary coordination between all the government ministries and agencies that collectively shape this environment and set coherent policies. It's got to be driven from the top down. So unless there's sufficient political will and commitment from the top, you're not going to get the necessary clarity to provide private sectors for their own planning processes. And finally, the implementation capacity needs to be put in place. So um, 
um, you ideally need some sort of nerve center or at the heart of government that reports to the head of state. And this support structure needs to know what are those constraints faced by the job-creating sectors, how do we scope workable solutions um, that politicians can run with, how do we track process, fix bottlenecks, and all of these sort of things. And Ethiopia's Agricultural Transformation Agency is cited as one of the true success stories with this form of modern um, industrial policy. And, and this is really referred to as a politically smart, market-based economic sector development and really what is needed to comprehensively address inclusive economic growth that can also bring the job gaps under control. Narina, another sector that was discussed at the, the SADC summit was agriculture. So we are all well aware of the challenges relating to land reform and ownership and also the lack of access to capital and finance. But what are some of the other impediments to the successful establishment of a more inclusive agricultural sector? So although farming on its own is a relatively small contributor to the economy, it is the broader value chain, the production of the raw materials required for things like agro-processing and so on, which contributes significantly to job creation and and up to 16% of our GDP. So without a well-established and successful farming industry, the entire agricultural sector wouldn't exist. So at its heart is the primary agriculture, the, the, the farming sector, and this is where the production of food happens and where the entire value chain starts. Now, you know, the South African agriculture is a very well-organized industry, but it's a very special form of old boys club. It's dominated by about 35,000 white commercial farmers who contribute as much as 80% of the food production in the country. But these farmers represent only about 50% of the country's farmers, and the rest are made up of small-scale commercial farmers, smallholder farmers, and then, of course, also subsistence farmers, the majority of whom are black. And, and, you know, one might think that this is just reflective of land ownership and lack of access to financing, but this skewed picture goes much deeper than that. And, and just as important is the knowledge and the resources that are transferred from generation to generation. You know, typically the white farmer grew up watching his father farm the land. He was exposed to the culture and understanding of how things work around the farm at an early age. They might then get sent off to be educated in agricultural studies before they return to work on the family farm. But all this time, the young farmer learns from his father, who would mentor him until the farm was ultimately handed over to him, and so the cycle would continue. The farmer was born on the farm, he grew up on the farm, and uh, taught how to own and operate his own farm. And yes, more often than not, it was a he, as girls were hardly seen as, as, as people fit to, um, to um, inherit the family's farming operations. But you know, the modern farmer um, includes not just an increasing number of black women, but also or black people, but women also, who are actively switching city life for farming. And um, although the access to farming land might be secured via government programs, um, many people walk onto these farms with inadequate support, little or no farming skills, and there's no one to, to, to guide and mentor them. And the slow pace of transformation in the farming industry, I think, is as much a consequence of not creating viable support channels and support programs for these new entrants. And, and you know, ironically, many of the white commercial farmers are aging with no or little succession planning. Their children often are led into other careers, not interested to, to farm like their fathers. So we clearly need to find ways to connect these new entrants into the farming and agriculture sector with these experienced old hands if we want to create sustainable transformation in the primary agriculture sector.
So that form of partnership, uh, one can see, would benefit both the mentor and the mentee. And um, it should go a long way to create a more sustainable emerging farmer industry. But what about the related industries in that agriculture value chain? So the Eastern Cape is a great example of an empowerment project which was launched by the Black Business Council, the BBC, um, in partnership with the Ikepu Agricultural Secondary Cooperative. And the BBC Grain Production Project was launched just last week on August 15th, and it's based in Elliott in the Eastern Cape. And the project aims to not just support emerging farmers, but to specifically involve them in an integrated value chain model so that they can become commercial farmers. So they're assisted with a range of support, from access to collateral and security for finance and loans, but also assisting them in upscaling their business competencies and improving their market access. Now, this type of project aims to address many shortcomings with one solution. It's expected to make a contribution to to GDP, certainly, transform the sector, create sustainable skills transfer, create jobs, and help ensure food security. And, you know, it's encouraging to see more cooperation and integrated solutions in the agriculture sector. And it's clear that we need to replicate these sort of models, not just across the country, um, but also through many industries, if we are to achieve meaningful transformation of our economy to create inclusive growth and, and want to make inroads into the substantial stubborn jobs shortage that we have in South Africa. Well, we leave it there for this morning. Thank you so much, Narina Fisser.